0: Well, as you see in the uh, notes before you, uh, if you weren't here last week, we actually said last week we were going to switch gears. And instead of doing Psalm 14, I was going to beg Mike Stokey if I could do Psalm 13. And uh, the begging didn't take too long. He said, yes, we could do that. I just think Psalm 13 uh, is one of the most important th- Psalms for us in, in the whole uh, book of Psalms and helping us unpack one very important aspect. ...of the book of Psalms, and that is what we just sang... uh, ...taking things to the Lord in prayer. What does it look like for us to have what we looked at last week... ...when we looked at Psalm 10, that opening line, just that raw honesty... ...what does it look like for us to bring those kind of things uh, to the Lord? And I'm extremely eager to share this psalm with you... ...because this psalm uh, has represented something very significant in my life... ...that took place over 30 years ago, and I want to begin... At that point, over 30 years ago, uh, I was struggling, or about 30 years ago, I was struggling um, with an addiction. And I was young, I was in my 20s, and I had, I had fought this all through my high school and college days. And I had sought the Lord, I had sought counseling. Um, and now I was married, and I had, I had confessed these things to my wife, prior, or my, my then fiancé, prior to us getting married. And I felt like I was on the road to recovery, and then quickly in our marriage, I begin, uh, I begin struggling uh, with that addiction again, to the point where, and I had said all along, I'm not going to lie, um, I'm not going to lie to my wife, I'm, I'm not going to lie to my close friends, uh, but then I found myself uh, covering things up and lying even to my wife to the point where I was where I was truly lying to everyone, and finally, uh, at age 25, I said, you know, I'm, I'm I really got to deal with this, and through the help of a pastor and a, and a great counselor, um, started the work of, uh, of walking through these things. And I remember it was about, <laughs> I guess about a year and a half into counseling, my counselor was this wonderful woman named Charlene, and uh, and she was kind of peeling back some of the layers that had led to uh, to me being uh, attached to this particular addiction. And a lot of it had to do with, with intimacy, and a lot of it had to do with... Um, disappointment in what I thought God should have done or, or just, frankly, anger at God because of things that I felt like He could have done and didn't do, the least of which was to free me of something that I hated and I wanted to get rid of. And so I remember that one particular counselor, counseling session. She, she started talking about wrestling with God. She said, Todd, have you ever wrestled with God? <laughs> and uh, I said, no, that's all I said. I was too prideful to say, I don't really know what you're talking about. I just said, no, I haven't. Um, Because I thought I I must not have because I don't know what she's talking about. And as we were going through it, she said, well, I think you really need to do that. We got to the end of the counseling session. She said, this is your assignment. This is your homework for the next time we get together. I need you to wrestle with God. And again, because of my, I guess, you know, manly pride, I was like, okay, even though I had no idea what that meant, right? So I walk out. ...thinking, yes, I'll, I'll do that. I'll wrestle with God. And I walked out thinking, I don't know what that means. So, And it was, uh, I didn't think about it for a couple of days... ...and it was late one night. I couldn't sleep. I was, I was torn and lost in my thoughts, as, as David is here in this psalm. And uh, I, I, I walked into our, we had this little house. I walked out of our bedroom, in the living room. Lynn was asleep. Couldn't sleep. I was just in turmoil... And the thought came to my head, Todd, you need to wrestle with God. And then the next thought came in my head, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so the only thought place I could ever think of wrestling with God was in Genesis 32. So I turned to Genesis 32, and I read that, that passage of Jacob uh, wrestling with God. Jacob is facing Esau for the first time after he had, he had swindled Esau out of all of his, uh, all of his wealth, um, all of his inheritance. And he makes this plan because he's terrified of meeting Jacob. And then, uh, so convicting to me personally, it says that Jacob made a plan and then he prayed. And that, that's, that often defined my life. I make a plan and then I pray when I should be praying and then making a plan. And this says that Jacob wrestled with God. And I began to understand as I read Genesis 32 what was going on, Jacob had always wanted God to bless him, and he had sought blessing in all these different places. And he had never gotten it. He had never found it. Even though he was now an extremely wealthy man, with the wife that he wanted and everything that he should have earthly wanted, he still didn't feel blessed. And so he wrestled with God. And I began to read that, and I began to weep, and I began to understand that there was something about raw honesty before God that I had not gotten a hold of. I knew that crying out to God was an important thing, or at least I heard people talk about that. Only I had two problems. As a man who struggled with expressing his emotions or thinking that my expression of emotions was the right thing to do as a man, I didn't understand what it meant to, to cry out. And I was a little uncomfortable with that. At the same time, there were things I wanted to say to God that I thought, well, you shouldn't say that to God. I was I, I was angry and I, I was disappointed and I had things I wanted to say to him but, I kind of thought well you don't you can have those feelings but those are sin and you shouldn't say them to God so don't say them to God, and it was that night that I began to learn what we have before us here in Psalm 13. Let's read this uh, together or uh, follow with me as I read this. How long O Lord, will you forget me forever? My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm, short as it is, is just packed full of so many things that are important for us this morning. And it breaks itself up nicely into three sections. It's even divided like that, probably most likely in your Bible verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, and that's what we have before us. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see this desperate heart a cry of a desperate heart. David exposes his desperate heart. He is is real honest. Um, He is real bold. We're getting to see really what's going on in David's heart. We don't know exactly. A lot of times the, the, uh, the heading before the psalm gives us some idea of when this was in David's life or what it was about. But in this particular case, it doesn't let us know. It's uh, scholars don't know when in David's life this was, and they're not sure uh, what it was about, which I think is actually helpful to us. It's helpful to us in the same way that when we hear Paul talk about his thorn in the flesh, we don't exactly know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We don't know what it was that he pleaded with God to take away, and God, and, and, and God says, I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. I think what's so helpful about that is it helps us relate to it more. Um, we can see ourselves as having thorns in the flesh that we wish God would take away and we wonder why he doesn't. And we can see ourselves in this psalm and say, I maybe have been at this point. Maybe you're at that point this morning. Maybe you're feeling these things this morning. Maybe you felt them before. Maybe you'll feel them in the future. Maybe, you're, maybe you have a close friend who's going through this or a family member who's going through these things. But it's great uh, to, to see right off the bat this raw honesty That David has he says four times how long how long how long there's a prolonged suffering here there's a prolonged waiting here and uh, a lot of us in here have lived life long enough to know that it's not really uh, the intensity of the suffering or the disappointment that really undoes us it's the length of it it's when it, it when it doesn't end It's it's when when we can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. That's when it starts to, to undo us. That's when we start to despair. And David, obviously, has been waiting for something. And he's saying to the Lord over and over again, How long, Lord? How long do I have to wait? How long for these things? David's waiting for something. Are you waiting for something? Is there something in your life you're you're waiting for? And you're saying, maybe even this morning, how long, Lord, how how long until I get a job? How long do I have to endure this in my job? Uh, How long, long, Lord, am I going to have to watch my son or my daughter wander from you? How, how long, Lord, until I can see my grandchildren uh, respond to your mercy and grace? How long is it going to be a struggle in my marriage? Lord, I've been trying to give this to you. I've been, to, I've been trying to hand it over to you. How long, Lord, am I going to have to struggle in my marriage? Or how long, Lord, until I get to be married? Or how long until the pain of, of this divorce... And, and, the, and the betrayal goes away. How long? What are you waiting for? David is clearly waiting for something here. And of course, out of that how long, there, there's this sense of why. why. Why would God allow this? Why does he seem to hide his face from us? And of course, that's the question that drives us to this raw honesty, the anger, the disappointment, because we know God is sovereign. We know he's sovereign. Or we know he can fix things. So why doesn't he fix things? Well, there's lots of reasons described for us in Scripture. Oftentimes it just has to do with our own maturity. As one of my favorite uh, pastors, Alistair Begg, says, he said, you know, when you're, when you're teaching your, your kids how to ride, their, ride a bicycle, you first put on training wheels, and then you take the training wheels off and you're kind of holding on the back of the seat, you know, and you're, you're running down the street with the seat, holding to make sure the bike doesn't fall over. Um, And then eventually, right, as you're doing this and you're teaching them to ride their bike, you let go. And as Alistair Begg says, why do you let go? Do you let go so you can see your son or daughter splattered all across this pavement? No, you don't take any delight in that. You let go because you want them to learn how to ride. God is is a perfect father for us and sometimes what he's doing is he's just Uh, letting go in order that we might grow in maturity. He's still there. You were still there as your son or daughter went down the street wobbling on the bike. You hadn't left them. Sometimes it's just for God's glory. And I know that's hard for us to grasp, that sometimes our pain and suffering might just be for His glory. We're so self-centered We often think that the entire universe and world and everything is revolving around us. And it's hard for us to imagine that that maybe I exist for God's glory. But that's the truth. We know that that's the truth. What is the chief end of man? To enjoy God and glorify Him forever. And maybe we're going to know in this life why we've had to wait, why we've had to say over and over how long. Maybe, but maybe we won't. You know, one of the things that is both, I guess, reassuring and a little... A little depressing in some ways, or at least uh, you know, unsettling, is that we're not sure. There's not, there's no, there's no evidence in the book of Job that Job had any idea why he went through what he went through. There's no indication that that, that he, before he dies, is made, that it's made clear for him the reason behind it. Now we get to see the reason behind it. Um But Job may have not known that until heaven. And in heaven he did know in the same way that we will. We'll we'll understand all of this. But for right now, right now, this is really tough for us. And like David, we say, how long? How long, O Lord? How long? How long? And then he goes on and he's specific about it. There in verse uh, 2, or excuse me, verse 1, still verse 1, how long will you hide your face from me? So letter B, how long without blessing? Hide your face. Why do I say that's without blessing? Because you remember in Numbers chapter chapter 6 verse 24 through 26 is the Arianic blessing, the blessing from, from the priest. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. David knows that. He knows that the blessing of God is when God shines his face upon us and he's saying how long are you going to hide your face from me? I'm not knowing your blessing. I'm not experiencing, I'm not experiencing that you're that you're looking at me. I love how Job points this out. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 29. Job chapter 29. Listen to these words. I had forgotten uh, that these occur in the book of Job like this, but a great description of this. Of this longing for God to shine His face upon you. Longing for God to bless you. Job 29, just there in the first few verses. Job, writes the, Job says this. Verse 2, it says, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone upon my head, and by His light I walked through the darkness. As I was in my prime." when the friendship of God was upon my tent. David says, I remember those days when your face shone upon me, when I felt your friendship. David now is saying, how long are you going to hide your face from me? I'm not experiencing your blessing. He goes on in in verse 2 and he says, how long, O Lord, in in this darkness? I love the way it's put here in the ESV, the the literal, how long am I going to have to counsel my own soul? I have to be my own counselor? These thoughts are just churning inside me. I knew a little bit about that when I was in my teens and in my uh, 20s. But man, as I got into my 30s, and the, and the weight of responsibility and things that I, that I needed done, all of a sudden, whew, sometimes it could be overwhelming. And what I heard other men doing all of a sudden started to happen to me, waking up in the middle of the night and just instantly having anxiety, instantly feeling the pressure of, of what I needed to, to take care of. Uh, one of my favorite uh, artists, songwriters, ever is Bono from U2 and, and these lyrics have always been gripping to me and they describe that feeling of being in the darkness and counseling your own soul. As he talks about what it means to be a man and at this point he's writing in his, in his 50s, he says this, sometimes I can't believe my existence. I see myself from a distance and I can't get back inside. Sometimes the air is so anxious and all my thoughts are so reckless and all my innocence has died. Sometimes I wake at four in the morning when all the darkness is swarming and it covers me in fear. Sometimes I'm so full of anger and grieving, so far away from believing that any sun will reappear. And we've all been there. That moment you wake up in the middle of the night and you just feel like darkness is swarming around you and you feel like you're having to counsel your own soul. This is what David feels. And David expresses it to God. He says, why do I have to counsel? My, how long will I have to be my own counselor? And then he goes on and he says, Lord, how long, letter D, how long with my enemies? How long will I have to experience th- these enemies? And apparently David, there was a face to his enemy. There was a face to his pain. Apparently from this, and often you see this, David was speaking about specific people who were mocking him, laughing at him, wanting to see his demise. David's thinking about someone. And I thought to myself, does your your pain have a face? Does your your pain have 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 a person's name attached to it? An enemy who sought to seek your demise? someone who wants to undo you. And you say, how long, Lord? How long? I've I've even been praying for this person. I've been praying your blessing on this person. I've been praying to reconcile with this person. How long? How long are they going to take delight in my demise? How long are they going to take delight in my failure? How long are they going to take delight in my suffering and my pain? Maybe your, your enemy doesn't have an a human face, but all of us have an enemy. Ephesians 6 tells us that our our, uh, struggling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. There is one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour your soul. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He's not wooing us in any way because he wants to befriend us. He hates the image of God stamped on every human being, and he wants to destroy us. He wants to make us animals. He wants to, he wants to degrade that imago Day image of God within us, and he is an enemy seeking to destroy us. And there are times, aren't you, when you cry out, Lord, how long? how long must I suffer under the attack of the evil one? How long must I bear up under these temptations? How long must I bear up under this addiction? Why won't you take it away? Why won't you take it away? I hate it. I don't want it. How long am I going to have to endure this enemy? David there is expressing his desperate heart. And not only is it a desperate heart that we have before us in these verses... But if you look at verses 3 and 4, Roman numeral 2, you see see a directed prayer. A directed prayer. This is so key. In fact, if you could only get one thing this morning, I'd like you to get this. David just doesn't cry out. He doesn't just express his emotion. He doesn't just go out and yell somewhere and protest. and, And he doesn't run around his house kicking the dog, kicking the door, yelling at his kids, yelling at his wife. I've got to express my emotions. Now David goes to God. He goes directly to God. David's not just expressing it and ranting it. He's praying. He wants to have a conversation with God. There in verse 1 it says, How long, O Lord? And here in verse 3, Consider me and answer me, O Lord, my God. You know, once again, we've got uh, a natural disaster hitting, hitting the, uh, our coast with the, this hurricane, and there's flooding, and there's damage, and there's power out, and particularly those who are, are under-resourced are under a, an immense amount of pressure. Um, it always, I always find it disturbing, actually. It's not even humorous. <laughs> when they're on CNN or whatever news channel, and they're saying that you're stupid if you don't get out and, and go. Leave the coast, get out of there. And I'm thinking... You know what, if you're under-resourced, it's not like you have extra money to hop in a car. You might not have a car, and if you do, you can't pay for the hotel. I just think it's totally inconsiderate to think that, that everybody can just has the ability to get out. All that said, what you're going to hear in the next couple of days is this, right? This phrase will be posted on social media. Be, you'll hear it on all the different uh, uh, news networks. Our prayers and thoughts are with you. Which I'm always like, what in the world does that mean? Number one, how do you give a, how how is my thought with you? You know, what is that, and how does that even help me if my, my power's out? That doesn't really help me. But we say that in America, but we don't, we often don't have any, it's a prayer to no one. But here, the blessing of David is that he is praying to God. And even in his anger and despair and frustration, he goes to God. And then he says these three things look, answer, give light. Look, he says. Look on me, consider me. The ESV is a little kinder. NIV says, Look on me. You've hidden your face from me. God, look at me. And you say to yourself, Are we allowed to say that to God? Am I allowed to pray? God, look on me and answer me. I don't know about you, but I kind of grew up thinking I'm not allowed to say that stuff to God. I'm not allowed to, to express that. I can't be that bold. That's a little bit over the top. Am I allowed to pray like that? Are you allowed to pray like that? Are you allowed to say to God, how long, O oh Lord, how long must I suffer in my own darkness? How long? Are you going to forget me forever? Look on me and answer. Are we allowed to pray that? Brothers, yes. How do I know that? Because this is our psalm book. This is our prayer book. One of the greatest things about the book of Psalms and why I love Psalm 13 is it gives us words for our prayers. And if you're a little, if you're a little nervous about saying Stuff out of your own mouth. Just pray this. Just pray these words. God has given us His word, He's given us these things. Yes, we can be these bold, this bold. And you know what? Jesus was the example as well. What is Jesus? What is the cry of His heart there on the cross? The same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This raw honesty, I think, is so important. I think my counselor tapped into something. I think she understood, Todd, you are never going to get past this until you go to God in honesty. You are going to be stuck here forever in disappointment and anger with God until you talk to him and say what you want to say. God can handle it. I've often thought about it, you know, once I had kids of my own, I began to understand that communication with God even more. I began to even understand the book of Psalms uh, more. Isn't it true? I'd rather hear the rants and raves of my son than to hear nothing for years. I have a good friend of mine, happens to be a pastor. Some of you know him and you know this. He's literally not heard except for a, a couple sentences here and there in the very short email have from his son in over four years. I'm sure he would trade that silence for an hour of unleashed anger and disappointment at him for what he was or was not as a father. At least then there would be relationship and opportunity for reconciliation Listen, God, number one, God is big enough. He, he's, he sees our anger and disappointment anyways. It's not like he's fooled like in our silence. And God's word is saying, talk to me. Come boldly with your prayers. Give, brothers, we've got to do this. I think we're going to be trapped forever in how long until we go to God like David and say, how long? God, look on me. Answer me. And when David says, answer me, I I love what he's already tapping into. Letter B, answer me. David knows that God is sovereign. He knows it. He goes to God. Why? Because he knows God has answers. He uses the term Lord twice. This idea that that you are Yahweh, you are the one who can can do this. See, here's the deal. David hasn't lost his faith. Or as one one, uh, writer says, "This, this psalm is not an expression of the absence of faith, but rather it is the expression of faith. David hasn't lost his faith. David is expressing the reality of his faith. Here I am in my my humanness, my brokenness, my struggle. And you know what, God? I know you have answers. I know you can look on me. I know you are Lord. And so already David is is moving in that direction. He's going to the place that he knows he will find answers. Because he believes that God is God. And he continues, he says, give light to my eyes. Light up my eyes. We're not sure from the text whether this has to do with uh, a physical ailment. Um, so it could be that David is saying, literally, I'm going to die if you don't somehow uh, uh, breathe life into me. Unless you heal me of this, of this illness, unless you heal me of this, of, uh, of this sickness, I'm going to die Would you please do something in my body? Or maybe it's emotional. God, would you please bring clarity? My emotions have taken over. And isn't that what happens? We get into these these places where we feel overwhelmed. We feel like it's it's never ending. We're wondering, where is God? Why has he hidden his face from me? And in those places, uh, our emotions start to take over. Instead of thinking... Uh, truth in our heads we start to we start to just feel and our feelings start to drive what we're doing here and David is saying please give light to my eyes I'm blinded I'm walking in darkness I'm counseling my own soul I need clarity I need strength and I know you can give it and it's a it's this desperate raw cry God Lord my God would you give Light to my eyes, look on me, answer me. But he's going to God. It's not just yelling. It's not just venting. He's going to God. And then we see in verse 5 and 6 something really amazing. I mean, it's almost like like we're missing some verses or something, right? I mean, you look at the end of verse 4. And then you go right to verse 5, 5 and 6, and it, you, you have to ask yourself, what happened? What happened between verse 4 and verse 5? Was, was there some time? Did he get blessed? What happened between those two verses? Here's the answer. Apparently nothing. <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing in David's circumstances changed. Nothing in his external life Nothing apparently happened in that place. No, what's happening here is that that David is making a choice based on truth. There's a deliberate resolve in verses 5 and 6. And he says three things. I'm going to trust, I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to worship. It's a deliberate trust. It's a choice in the midst of his anger and his frustration he's going to choose truth now let me just say this before we dive in this I don't think David could have gotten there if he hadn't done the first two things and that's what's key for us to know I don't think David gets to the place of saying I will trust I will rejoice I will worship without going through these things what things being completely honest with what's in his heart and going to God. I think those, those are key. And I think we make mistakes as men in those two areas. We either go to God and we're not honest or we're honest and we don't go to God. We either go to God with our prayers and, and, and don't express what really is the deep longings of our heart, either because we think we shouldn't, or it's not appropriate, or we don't have words, or we're being honest with everyone. Again, we're home ranting and raving, yelling at this, trying to control this thing, Never happens to you, I'll get home one day, and uh, this is when the kids are still in the house. and. I walk in the kitchen, I'm like, oh my goodness, and I, Zach, you need to get, take care of this. Hey, Ellie, why haven't you cleaned your room? And Lynn will look at me and she said, has it been a tough day? Do you need to control something? <laughs> and I'll say, yeah, I do. <laughs> Which she usually says, well, why don't you go control it out in the yard or something, you know, like, go, <laughs> go control the yard work if you'd like to. I'm being honest, but I'm not going to God. I've got to do both. And then David gets to this place where he chooses to trust, he chooses to rejoice, he chooses to worship. Trust, he says, I trust, this is so key. I have, verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. The word steadfast in the Hebrew there is one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. It should be one of your favorite words in all of Scripture. The word is hesed. It's often uh, translated steadfast, uh, unfailing, um, uh, faithful. The word hesed is a word directly connected to the word word we have in English, covenant. A covenant love. A, 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 A love that is locked in. A commitment, a committed love. God's committed love, hesed. You'll find it all over Psalms, everywhere. It's described for us in Deuteronomy 7. Turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. A great description of this hesed love. Because David is saying, I'm going to trust in this kind of love. I'm trusting that you're this God. Deuteronomy 7, you remember Deuteronomy uh, 5, God has given, again, the Ten Commandments. He said, here's the law that I have before you. Deuteronomy 6, he talks about how I want you to go ahead and and be my people. And I want you to do these things. I want you to bind them on your heart. And uh, I I want you to teach them to your children. Uh, I want you to teach them to your children's children, next generation. And then he starts to talk about his relationship with them. And in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples on the earth, God has chosen you. And then listen, look at this. For you are, excuse me, it was not, verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers. Think about that. God has set his love upon us. Why? Why did he do that? Was it because we we were worthy of it in any way? Was it because we were large in number? Because we were good looking? Because we were talented? Because we were industrious? Why did God set his love on us? The answer is because he did. That's it. I remember getting a hold of this when, I was, uh, when my kids were first born. And I used to ask my youngest son, Ben, all the time, I'd say, uh, do you know what? And he says, yes. I said, what? He said, you love me. And I said, why do you love me? We, tr- we trained on this. He said, why do you love me? Uh, I said, why do I love you? And he says, because I'm your son. That's all I wanted him to know. I wanted him to know that I was going to try to love him the way God loves me. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. Why has God set his love upon you and made his, and, and, and grabbed a hold of you? Why? Because he did. <laughs> he chose to do that. You see that same theme in the book of Hosea. Great book. God's people rebelling and turning from him. God says to Hosea, hey, just like your wife has run away from you and gone back into being a prostitute, go back to the street, find her, and buy her back because that's the kind of God I am. And so there's Hosea wandering the streets trying to find his wife, being ridiculed probably by the men who even slept with her. And he finds her and he buys her back and brings her there to his home. And that's what God says, that's the kind of God I am. You belong to me, and I will, And you're mine. That's why, why God says throughout the New Testament, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm, I'm always going to be with you. I'm going I'm to get you to the end. I'm going to finish things to the end. You're mine. This covenant love, this Hesed love, and David says, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. You love me because you love me. I'm going to trust in that in the midst of my pain, in the midst of saying how long, in the midst of wondering where you are and whether you're hiding your face from me. I'm going to go to truth. I'm going to choose to trust based on truth. The truth is, the truth is, God has set his love upon you. And you are his son. Why does he love you? Because you're his son. And he loves you. And then, He says, I'm going to rejoice because of your salvation. I'm going to choose joy because of your salvation, because of what you're doing in this world. I'm going to choose to pursue that. I'm going to choose to be grateful for what I see you doing. I have seen your hand in this world. I have seen what you've done. I can look back at the cross and see your grace. Just in the few moments before we started Amen this morning at the table that I sat one of the men there was talking about grace and saying that he felt like in his early life like grace was something that when he was handed it he needed to hold on to it, squeeze it and make sure that it didn't get away from him. And now he's realized that's not what a grace is in the Bible. It's, something that, it's, a, it's a river that we swim in. It's, it's something that we it's where God has placed us. And that's what David says, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm, I'm in the darkness, I'm in the pain, but I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to cultivate thankfulness in my life because I know that I swim in that river of grace, even though I do not feel it at all right now. I know that that's a truth. And so I'm going to thank the Lord for the cross today. And then it says... Well, I wrote worship. And some of you are saying, Todd, it doesn't say worship in verse 6. It says, I will sing to the Lord. Listen, I'm sure David sang sometimes by himself. But it would have been completely out of David's mind to have written this and not be thinking about singing in the midst of God's people. A Middle Eastern man... At that point in history, a Middle Eastern man at this point in history wouldn't imagine himself by himself singing. He would always imagine himself with other men singing. And so there's no way to look at this and not realize David's thinking about worship. He's thinking about corporate worship. I'm going to sing in the assembly. I'm going, to, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to gather together with God's people, and I'm going to choose to do that even when I'm suffering and struggling. Even in my pain, I'm going to choose to be in worship. Why? You've dealt bountifully with me. In the past, I've seen it. You say, How has he dealt bountifully? He's suffering. He's saying, How long? I've got these enemies. I've got this darkness. I don't feel like God is blessing me. Well, he's already said what's God's blessing. God has already given him his covenant love, God has already given him some salvation. David says, I'm going to walk into the house of God and I'm going to worship you because you have set your affection upon me. And by the cross, I'm swimming in your grace. And David's going to say, your covenant love and your salvation, they're enough. They're enough for me to be in worship. That's all I need to be in worship. So oftentimes I I think in the midst of, of, of my cry to God when I'm saying, how long, oh Lord, why, won't you, why are you hiding your face from me? I remember blessing before. It doesn't seem like blessing now. How long, Lord, when are you going to take care of me in this? And I'll hear this question come to me. Is Jesus enough for you, Todd? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough, Todd, or do you have to have something else also? And I'll think, ah, oh, I know the answer. <laughs> Jesus is enough. The love of Christ, salvation of Christ, that's enough. The affection of the Father, the freedom from sin, that's enough. Oh Lord, help me know that that's enough. Help me live in that reality. Help me move into worship. And so you see, how do you, how do you get out of this? What, what happens here? When you're in the darkness, what does he do? He, first of all, he goes to God. I'm going to trust in your hesed, in your covenant love. He gets his mind off himself. I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. I'm going to be thankful for what you have done rather than what I don't feel you're doing. And I'm going to get with God's people in worship. I'm going to choose to do those things. Brothers, you may or may not be here this morning but if you're at this place that David's at this morning about something, someone, let me just say this before you go. Hear these words of truth. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And God will keep his promise. God said, I began a good work in you And I promise to carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And He'll keep that promise. And maybe what you really need right now is to find some place today to wrestle with God. And now at least you know what that means. Let me pray for us Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious words. Thank you for these real, bold, raw words. Thank you that you've made it part of our songbook. Thank you that you've made it part of our prayer book. Thank you that you've given us words to express the deep longings of our heart. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for your salvation, the cross. Thank you for your Hesed, your covenant love. Oh, Father, whatever our circumstances today, Would you please bless us and keep us? Would you please make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you please lift up your countenance upon us today and give us your peace? All of God's people said, amen. Amen.